Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. On this podcast, I chat to authors about their work and how literature has the power to change the world. Today, I speak to Ellie Marnie. Ellie is an award-winning YA crime author who has gone behind the scenes at the Westminster Mortuary in London and interviewed forensic autopsy specialists around the world in pursuit of just the right gory details. Today, we talk about her novel, None Shall Sleep. It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. (laughs) Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about (laughs) and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, Ellie Marnie. Hello, Danny. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to have you. I loved this book and we're going to talk about None Shall Sleep today. What a cracker. It was, it's an incredible psychological thriller and right from the beginning, I was just enraptured by not only what was going on, but the characters. They were so great, which we'll talk about soon, but I loved it so much. Thank you. I've had such an amazing response to to this book from people. like the most overwhelming response I think I've ever had for any book, except for maybe my debut book, Every Breath. So, so yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I never quite know when uh, lightning's going to strike with a book that will really um, get a response from people. I think it had that real um, sort of true crime feel about it. That's awesome. <laughs> so for people who haven't yet got their hands on this novel, can you give us an elevator pitch as to what this book is about? Okay, so None Shall Sleep is set in 1982 and it's about two teenagers, um, Emma Lewis and Travis Bell. And they both have experience of violent crime in their history, as in they've been, um, ex- they've been victims of violent crime or um, they've uh, had it affect their family. And they're both recruited by... Uh, the FBI to head up a new unit within the behavioural science unit Um, and the idea is that they're going to be sent into jails and mental institutions to interview to interview young people who've been convicted of serial murder so um, during the course of these interviews they uh, start receiving insights about a current murder investigation that the FBI is running and the insights are coming from a a young uh, incredibly manipulative uh, young sociopath called Simon Goodmanson who's um, incarcerated at the St Elizabeth's Hospital for the criminally insane and so they never really know whether or not they're getting um, real information from Simon and he starts playing this kind of psychological game with them while they're trying to Um, figure out the riddle of this new homicide case Um, and they're trying to uh, keep it all together, I guess, before more teenagers die. 
I wanted to ask you with the character Simon, he was so terrifying and yet he was in prison, but you know, that's where that psychological thriller comes into play. But as an author, how did you go about making a character so terrifying and yet he was in prison? Um, yeah, I guess he's, it's a bit unexpected when the main character or, or the, the scary character is the one who you're supposed to be safe from, I guess. You're in this situation where, yeah, you, you know, he's not supposed to be able to hurt you at all. But the thing about um, these kinds of thrillers is that um, the, the, the threat isn't, in a thriller, the threat isn't really to the physical safety of the protagonist. The threat is to the mind and the soul, I guess, of the protagonist. So, um, you know, the kind of battle of wits thing, which is what Simon really likes to, to do. He likes to toy with his victims psychologically, I think. And that comes through in the story where, when he and Emma Lewis have these dialogues together where he's kind of always picking, trying to pick her apart psychologically. So the threat really is is to her mental to her mental state to her state of mind and to um her psychology i guess so he's trying to tear apart her kind of personal sense of self i like that i like how you said the soul because i think i really felt that when they were talking because she's already a damaged character or has come from you know quite traumatic experiences and i think that obviously just elevates the threat then doesn't it yeah yeah i mean emma's have this really incredibly traumatic background where she was um, kidnapped by a serial offender when she was 16 and ended up being the only person left alive when she she made her escape but you know she carries a lot of baggage around what happened to her and also the people that she left behind when she when she escaped from from um, Daniel Huxton who was the guy who grabbed her um, so yeah, so she's 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 very vulnerable as a character in lots of ways. Even though she projects this real strength of character and this real kind of staunchness, I guess. Um, but Simon, being Simon, <laughs> he can kind of root out everyone's insecurities and vulnerabilities. So, and he he narrows his his gaze right on her. You know, he's he's very effective at targeting her psychologically. Um, but I think that's his modus operandi with pretty much everybody. Mm. Um, uh, he was a fun character to write, but he was, he was really hard work <laughs> to write because <laughs> he's so bright. Yeah, you, you don't, um, uh, you know, it's easy to make him sound very smart, but you, it's also a bit of a fine line that you have to walk where you, you don't want him to sound like he's too old. You don't want him to sound like he's a middle-aged you know, academic or something. Mm. Well, um, so yeah, he was. Simon was incredibly fun to write, and um, and Emma was was delightful. She's she's so um, she's so solid in lots of ways, um, but so damaged in in you know, if you dig a little bit, she's she's really damaged underneath. Mm, I found it fascinating, especially when. You know, I think right in the beginning of the book, it said, you know, most books focus on the murderers or most cases focus on the murderers. And although we do get an insight into Simon, the story is really Emma's story. And mm. I like how 
the book explores the survivor of a murder because we're, we yeah. often forget about those, about those people and we focus on the Simons. But I thought it was really interesting that she suffered such a traumatic experience and she's sort of going back into it in a different angle. But yeah. the focus on the survivor and the work it takes to survive and to keep going after what happened to her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, look, I was really... There were a couple of reasons why I um, I chose Emma's character to be the way it was, I guess. I mean, my first thought was more to do with the story and how I was going to give the uh, teenage characters in that story some agency. Because that's when you're writing YA crime, it's, you know, when you're writing an adult crime, it's kind of easy because most of the time the protagonist is there because it's their job or, you know, they're a cop or a journalist or a um, pr private investigator or something like that. Um, but when you're dealing with, with young people, you have to give a, give a reason. It has to be a plausible reason for why they would be there and why they would have authority and agency in that situation. So and you have to write them so that they have either, they've either got... Uh, an amazing understanding of what's going on or they've got some kind of personal experience. And so, yeah, putting them, putting them in the centre of the crime like that, you know, I felt like the only way that Emma would have authority unless she had studied for years and years the issue of, of sociopaths, um, the only other way to give her that authority would be to make it part of her personal experience. Mm. So I, I really wanted to um, emphasise the role of um, the the survivor, the trauma survivor in the book, because yeah, like you were saying, a lot of that, a lot of crime fiction tends to uh, kind of brush over the idea of of the victim or the survivor of violent crime. It's something that I have a real issue with, and it's something that um, I, when I was researching the book, I was watching a lot of. I was listening to a lot of um, real crime profile podcast, which I found really fascinating, but they have a real policy of honoring the, um, the victims mm. of crime um, with a series of, you know, they have strategies within the podcast to really um, center the life and experiences of the victims. And so I thought, yeah, well, that's really important that we acknowledge that as as part of you know both crime fiction and in crime in real life we're kind of fascinated culturally with sociopaths that this experience of the victims tends to be forgotten so it was really important that i put emma front and center in that way mm. um yeah so i thought so too she's she, i also am kind of fascinated by uh female trauma survivors in center you know when you put them center stage they do really unusual things they don't they, there's no artifice with them you know there's no bullshit they are just they're they're just garbage you know they don't suffer fools very much at all so that was that was something that i found interesting i think of people like ellen ripley in aliens you know part of their whole appeal i guess as characters yeah, absolutely. I definitely see that um, now that you say that about those other characters. I mean, there's such a, a surge in people loving crime fiction. There's such a surge in people watching true crime. And we've talked about 
the fascination of sociopaths or psychopaths? Why do you think we are so fascinated with people like that? I think we're fascinated with them for the same reason that they make interesting characters, um, which is that they have such an alien mindset. They are not like regular people at all. They're, and, and that's not just... You know, um, that sounds really obvious. Oh, he's a sociopath. Simon's a sociopath. He's not like a regular person. Well, duh. <laughs> but, but actually, you know, in a lot of studies that have been done of sociopaths, their brains are really constructed completely differently to standard, you know, when you, when you do an MRI of a sociopath's brain, you get a very different result. So their brain physically is quite different. Um, that's amazing. It, I didn't yeah, know, I know that. That's amazing. Yeah, I was, I was reading about it and a friend of mine forwarded me an article about it recently and she was like, see, more proof. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, um, and also they just don't act in the same way or react in the same way as, as regular people, mm. I guess. That so, lack of empathy as well. Probably. Yeah. Mm. And, and so when you put them on the page, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. It's always going to be completely unexpected. So that's interesting for a reader. You it know, is interesting. Dramatically, it's interesting. Was that the most surprising thing about your research or were there other things that you went, wow, how can this be? Yeah, look, I was really surprised about the MRI thing. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I kind of had already done some research that suggested that sociopaths have very different brain chemistry to normal people. Um, and, you know, we already understand that they have very different psychological makeup. So, um, so that makes them interesting as characters and that was, that was kind of the area that I was pursuing. You know, what does that mean when you don't feel empathy? Mm. Um, what does it mean when you can't, um, you know, express kind of uh, real emotions in, in ways that, and, you know, and how does that change the way you behave, the way you, your personality kind of presents socially? Um, they're also very good at, um, you know, if you, if you don't have empathy and from a young age uh, you're, you've been kind of channeled into certain areas by your own experiences growing up or through your upbringing, um, yeah, I mean, it's... That's, that's kind of the natural result is you, mm. you end up with people who, who not only can't act like regular people but who don't value um, human life, I guess. Yeah. And what's fascinating me just through this conversation, I'm no brain expert but I've read a couple of things about the brain and we know the brain's elastic and it can change but I'm yeah. wondering if you're born with a brain that's completely structured differently and you have a different chemistry in your brain, can you not change that you know can you not be i don't want to say the word cured but can you not be changed from that person that you are like that's fascinating too that, right that is really completely fascinating i mean the whole the whole biology aspect of it is really interesting but i mean there's a lot of evidence that suggests that it really is not just a matter of brain chemistry and and you know how your brain is is how it's wired but it's actually a combination of nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. So yep. it's very much about how you grew up and what your influences were uh, as a child and whether or not you learned um, behaviours that allowed you to um, socialise correctly and all that sort of stuff, you know. So basically if you've got 
a kind of a loving home life that's it's less a lot less likely that you're going to turn out to be uh, a serial offender um, you know on that on the spectrum of of sociopathic behaviors um, so yeah it was it was completely weird researching this stuff and also very weird researching how the FBI handles serial murder and and what kind of strategies they use to investigate it that was that was pretty freaky if you get mm. freaked out easily <laughs> I love that stuff. I love, I'm really drawn to crime. And I want to ask you, what draws you to crime fiction? What does draw (laughs) me to crime fiction? Fiction, (laughs) crime fiction. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, uh, Well, look, I don't know. I mean, that's a really interesting question. I don't think anyone's asked me that before. I think it's partly because I like to um, put characters under a lot of stress, which I guess you can do in any genre. Um, but crime seems to me to be really at the heart of that puzzle of good versus evil, you know, where, you know, what was that old, that was it from the phantom sees the evil in men's hearts or something (laughs) that line. I'm kind of fascinated by that idea of the human face of evil and, and also how we cope with that as a society Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I find it. I find detectives equally fascinating. I find them as fascinating as sociopaths. I mean, who wakes up in the morning or as a as a teenager, you know, in high school, decides one day that they're going to devote themselves to, um, you know, digging up information on on these really h- hardcore <laughs> serial offenders. <laughs> I mean, the people that became part of the FBI Behavioral Science Unit. They all came in from different directions. Some of them came in, you know, they'd been lawyers or they'd been um, agents in, FBI agents in some other capacity. They were with hostage negotiation, that sort of thing. And then they all kind of converged on behavioural science and they all had these unique skills. But they saw some of the worst serial crimes in in the US at that time of of, um, the development, the first development of the unit. Mm. And we talk um, about um, we talk about survivors and how yeah. you know they've been traumatized. But you know, as you're saying, how can you be a detective and see all these things and experience these things yeah. and you can't walk away unchanged from that? Can you? It has to do something to you. It has to, you know, staring into the face of that all the time. It mm. would have to affect you on a really deep level. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't know how detectives handle it. I mean, in the same way that I would struggle if I was working in like, um, I don't know, like a social welfare role, mm. um, I guess, try, having to deal with that kind of, oh, man, that just, it's all that really heavy stuff, you yeah. know. That's you just, the, you're skewed. Your, your reality gets skewed by that, I think. Yeah, I think it would have to be. Mm. Um, and who signs up for that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's a real crusade, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's. Mm. I think it must be really vocational. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, and you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to interview anyone who works within FBI behavioral science. I would have loved to do that mm. for research. It'd be good on this interview. Now we'd have so many questions for. Them. It would be amazing. <laughs> I like how this interview has actually raised so many more questions. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> then it's answered. Yes. <laughs> I'm just. Um, so many questions. I want someone to answer them for me. 
I um, mean, yeah, look, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, the human face of good and evil. I mean, it unpacks a whole lot mm. of stuff. For me, I, I find that really narratively rich. I guess that's one of the reasons why I keep going back to it again and again. And, you know, even the times when I've tried to write books where there, weren't, where there wasn't a murder. <laughs> <laughs> one just popped up. <laughs> I know. I remember when I was writing, um, oh, I was drafting something years ago and my editors were like, no, you can't. You can't write a murder in this book, Ellie. And I was like, come on, just one, just a little one. <laughs> a little one, just a little one. Did you manage? Did you do it? <laughs> I, I think there was actually somebody died. <laughs> I have to do it. And they, were like, they were like, you just can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, that's all, all that experience has led you to this wonderful book. I'm sure I know your other ones must have been wonderful too, but this was just, like you said, just has resonated with people and it's just, it was a great read. I loved it. So I wanted to ask you as well, set in 1982, was it a relief not to have to, you know, navigate the mobile phones and the Ah, technology? Yeah, it actually was. And, you know, I mean, crime writing is so much harder when you haven't got mobile phones, Mm. Uh, when when you've got mobile phones, Mm. I should say. so having the mobile phone taken out of the equation first, that was just really freeing. You know, it was suddenly like, oh, yeah, they may not be able to contact each other. <laughs> and you can't just Google something. And <laughs> That's right. You can't Google anything. And um, so that was really great being able to do it <laughs> that way. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, there's, when you're writing a book um, for young adult audiences, you always kind of have to be a little bit on top of um, current slang. Mm. Which is a risk too, because, you know, imagine if we'd all written about MySpace. So it's, yeah. it's a risk, right? You know, do I put Snapchat in here or is that not going to be a thing in a couple of years? It probably won't be not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, things that I wrote, you know, in my books set seven years ago, um, certainly don't bear any resemblance to, to <laughs> what, what kids doing now and and you know all the language all of the you know the creative swear words and things like that that young people come up with I mean I get a lot of it here at home because I've got teens at home <laughs> best place for research <laughs> yeah I spend a lot of time with my with my ears pricked listening listening um but you know that's great but the language you, you kind of do need to be aware of it and um yeah i mean sometimes you can include that stuff and sometimes you you have to be careful not to date the the language in your book but it was very freeing not to have to deal with that <laughs> yeah i thought that straight away i thought oh 1982 no phones no internet like how wonderful yeah. <laughs> it creates a, another sort of level of conflict i guess and also no dna Mm. So 1984 was when DNA became, 1985, sorry, was when DNA became used in criminal prosecution. So anything pre-1985, that changes the whole dynamic. Mm. So if DNA is going to ruin your book, write it before. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Make sure you don't (laughs) include details about DNA in a book set prior to 1985 (laughs) because you're going to get caught out every time. Uh, Elliot, I need to ask you this question. Why do you write? Uh, I think, you know, lots of reasons. Um, Probably, I don't know. I think Stephen King was like cheap therapy. (laughs) So it could be that. I think uh, it's just something that I have to do. Um, I get 
caught up in ideas. I get a lot of ideas a lot, all the time. You know, people are always like, oh, how do you keep thinking of ideas? And I'm like, the ideas really never stop. <laughs> so maybe it's kind of a release valve for that. Um, and I find it intensely satisfying. I've, I've always loved, um, loved putting words down on paper. I've been doing it since I was in primary school. And yeah, I think there's just so many ways that I find it kind of nourishes me, I guess, in, in some, some strange way. Um, even though you're kind of, even though it's output, even though you're kind of putting out energy, creating something, there's something that comes back to you at the same time when you're doing it. Um, I don't know. I'll probably, I'll probably have a different answer for you in a week. <laughs> That's okay. I love it. It also includes things like, oh, time to myself. <laughs> Away <laughs> we, from my children and my family. Yes, with four children, I'm sure time <laughs> to yourself is a very rare thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons why, but, yeah, something about it I find really enriching and I feel really privileged and very lucky to, to get to do this as a job. Um, so, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, even express how how fortunate I feel. You know, it's very easy to kind of um, think, oh yeah, here I'm stuck in the cycle of deadlines, and oh I have to get the book written by such and such, and oh the edits are here or whatever. But um, actually, I, I feel pretty lucky, pretty every pretty much every day that I get to do this for a job. Mm, absolutely, and I love how you say and you know, it nourishes you and that what you're writing about is this like psychological thriller, murder, sociopath. It's like, yeah, this is nourishing to me. I love that. I love that. <laughs> it is, it is. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. I never really thought about that. <laughs> but I, I read them and I love crime. I'm a huge fan of crime fiction. So it's the same for me, you know, and yeah. I, I don't know either. I can't explain it. I think I like the puzzle and I like trying to if not understand people's brains have more questions you know how how can you justify these things to yourself or how do you become yeah. that way so I I love leaving the book with you know all those questions that probably have no answers to but you know it, it's just fascinating it kind of gives you an arena to explore ideas about about humanity and about good and evil and things mm -hmm. like that that I guess you know you spend a lot of time you might spend you might talk about that in conversation, those kind of deep philosophical things, I guess. Um, but getting the, the opportunity to explore them and unpack them narratively within the space of a story is, is something I find really fascinating. So, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to inflict all the serial killers on you. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It's right up my alley. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> And look, none shall sleep and people are like, you're not going to sleep. And I'm like, well, I didn't sleep, not because it was so scary because I love scary, but because I just had to, I always had to get back to the characters. Like I really liked what was going on, obviously, mm -hmm. in terms of plot point. But for me, I kept coming back to the book because I wanted to see more Emma and Travis. Yeah. So I really loved those characters. And whenever I got back to them and started hearing their voices, I'm like, yeah, I was really on the journey with them. Yeah, I love those characters. I could happily write them all day. <laughs> and Travis is lovely, you know. He's like Emma's support mm. system and her way of navigating the law enforcement world. And, yeah, he was just really, really lovely to write. Mm. Um, he's just, he's like the complete opposite 
of the alpha male. Yeah. <laughs> um, psychologically, he's kind of like, he's kind of perfect, perfect foil for Emma. Mm-hmm. And um, cause she's, she's quite um, confrontational and adversarial by nature. Um, so it was really nice to write this guy who was kind of like, okay, we're all good. just going to calm down now. <laughs> I really liked him too. He had that nice softness about him, but he also, you know, he was very intelligent and he knew yeah. what was going on, but there was this really nice sort of calm softness about him. Yeah, I really liked him too. Yeah. Yeah. He's a sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Ellie. Like I said, I, I loved this book. I loved reading it. I loved crime and even more so I've just really enjoyed this conversation and unpacking things and having even more questions than we started with. So if there's any, you know, brain experts listening, we'd love some answers. That'd be great. Yep. C- call us up and let us know <laughs> what, what's the deal with those MRIs. <laughs> Join us for a sequel or something. <laughs>